Today I'm talking to Patrick Schwarzkopf about permaculture, gardening planning, the history of gardening, and his animal rescue farm. This guy has so much knowledge on gardening and composting. It's, it's such a beautiful conversation. I've personally learned so much from this talk. I hope you enjoy it. We'll see you on the other side. All right, welcome back to the show. Uh, today, sitting across from me is a dear friend of mine. We've been yoging for uh, a number of years together. Uh, and Patrick's the, the perfect example of the reason why I started this podcast. Um, so before I get into that, Patrick has 28 years of landscaping and restoration industry experience. Um, he's got his master's in environmental horticulture and urban forestry from UW, and he's got a bachelor of science. Um, and so again, so the reason I started this podcast was to talk to cool ass people that are all around me at all times that are in our lives, that if we just had the opportunity to talk to them about what they do, a, a vast amount of knowledge would pop up. And so I've known Patrick, I've known you for what, three or four years yeah, now, yoging all the bliss. Yeah. Yep, totally. And, uh, and you know, we've transactionally conversated, you know, I know Liz, you know, and little bits about your life, all this stuff. But then one day, a couple, about a year ago, maybe six months ago, Monica went over to your property and to look at a mural that you guys wanted to do and all this stuff. And she came back and she's like, did you know Patrick has a farm? And I'm like, no, I had no idea. She's like, did you know he rescues animals on that farm? I'm like, oh my God, I love Patrick even more now. You know, and then I talked to you about that and we started talking about your environmental uh, background and gardening and all this stuff. And I'm like, this is exactly why. If you have the vulnerability to ask the person sitting next to you a question about something involving your life, you'd be surprised at how in-depth their answer could be. Yeah. That's you, my friend. Nice. Excellent. So happy you're here, brother. Well, hey, man, I appreciate it. I, I love your podcast. Um, I, I love what you're doing. Um, I love how you're bringing everybody together and you're, you're, uh, I love the people that you're bringing on, um, their stories, their trials, their tribulations, their, um, their challenges. Uh, you just had Ali on, like one of my best friends Hell in the yeah. world. And, um, you know, it was, it, it was weird listening. I felt like I was like kind of in the room. I'm like, like eavesdropping a little yeah, bit. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, this is, this is, this is crazy. So, yeah. um, uh, thank you for bringing all of us together and, and, and bringing this platform out here. I love it. I love it. It's, it's inspiring to hear other people's stories and what they're doing. Um, there's so much out there that I didn't know. So yeah, it's cool, dude. Thanks. Thank you, brother. Great. Appreciate it. Appreciate the feedback and appreciate you being part of it. Yeah. Brother. Yeah. Um, so today we're going to talk to, to Patrick about, um, a lot of like his background and how that activates and actually actualizes in with our lives. Um, so, you know, permaculture is a word I hear, you know, here and there, uh, gardening, things like that. But, you know, I don't know really the, the understandings of gardening, I understand. Um, but, you know, some of the things that, that I really love about what Patrick does is bringing the information to the people. Um, and so uh, permaculture, agricultural ecosystems, like, again, these are all words I hear. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, one of the reasons that I was really excited to talk to you initially was... I read about a person not too long ago in New York that was starting this movement about urban farming and the idea of, you know, we, you might have like, if you have some property of some sort, let's say you own a house or a condo or a duplex, something, there might be a small amount of property on there, right? Like grass or something. And, you know, a lot of times it's just grass and we mow it and we pay to mow it and we keep it short and it's grass and that's it. But this gentleman is like, well, why don't we plant crops here? Like there's a small, it might be like two cubic feet, you know, of space, but you can grow something there and you can grow vertical, right? I mean, you might not have a lot of space yeah. horizontally, but you can go vertically. And so one of his uh, things right now is going into the inner cities where they, there are these patches of just dirt and putting gardens there. 
and then allowing those just to be community gardens, you know, and that made me think, cause like how much time do I spend mowing my goddamn lawn, fertilizing it, making it look as green as I can, but then chopping it as short as I can, because I don't want it to grow and look all weird and stuff. What's a better use for it? Yeah. So when people tell me they went a low maintenance lawn, I just, I kind of like scratch my head a little bit and I laugh because <laughs> I'm like, well, you realize that the grass, growing grass is one of the most labor intensive, time intensive um, parts of, parts of landscaping, parts of gardening. Um, you have to feed it. You've got to fertilize it. You've got to water it. You've got to mow it. You've got to edge it. You've got to uh, make sure that there's no fungus growing in it. There's all these things. There's and there's aerating it. There's thatching it. There's top dressing it. So when people are like, "I want a really green lawn," I'm like, "All right, how much are we wanting to spend on this lawn? Because right. this is going to take a lot of money and time to do that." Um, so there's other other ways. So I love I love it when a customer uh, wants to tell me that they want to get rid of their lawn mm. because that just that makes me very happy because there's so much more that we can do, uh, you know, by, by bringing in uh, shrubs, native shrubs, uh, uh, berries, you know, we're able to bring in more, more birds, more, mm. more insects, you know, it, it just enhances the ecosystem around you. So yeah. um, permaculture, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a way of life. It's a way it's, it's, it's um, everybody's got kind of a different, different de definition of it but for me it's living with the ecosystem mm. and not fighting it and because when you fight something you're gonna probably get some negative res results off right of it. yeah now when you uh so if if you have a, a customer that says hey i want to get rid of the yard and would want to do a garden do you find that you have to kind of condition that that soil to get to a point to where the garden's going to be better ex better received absolutely okay. soil is the number one um number one thing when you're trying to grow anything. Yeah. Um, I mean, yes, there's, um, there's aquaculture and, uh, there's aeroculture, you know, where you can just grow it just right out of, um, uh, get the nutrients right out of the air with some mists and things like that. But mm. really it's all about the soil. And, um, I've got this like crazy farm that we live on that I get a whole bunch of, of poop from llamas and mm. cow and goats and pigs and chickens. And so, I build my soil like that's what I did this weekend. Um, I, I, I had a compost pile that uh, is ready for the vegetable bed. So mm -hmm. I topped off two big vegetable beds with just just this dark, dark soil. It was so complex with with microbes and organisms and fungi. Mm -hmm. And um, it's 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 one of the reasons why I do organically where I try not to put any kind of chemicals because when you when you put down like a fungicide or an insecticide, you're you're not only killing this one specific fungus that you're going after, but mm -hmm. you're killing all the organisms in the in in the soil. Um, it's kind of like an antibiotic to the body. Huh? Yeah, yeah. You just take an antibiotic; yeah. it's like just kills everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it reminds me of uh, so my undergrad degree was uh, from Murray State University in Western Kentucky. Um, this small, pretty small school, uh, really good basketball team. That's, what they're, that's what they're known for. They're, they're, they're going to the dance this year. Like they're mm -hmm. always, like they always do. Um, so it's, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, I went down there and, uh, didn't know what I really wanted to do. It's in the middle of farmland. So I took a couple of agriculture classes, R thought they were great. Mm -hmm. Um, some of the really fun instructors, um, the classroom was full of, you know, guys with 
you know, shirtless sleeves on, uh-huh. Wrangler jeans, spit and dip in the class. Uh-huh. I'm kind of over here with this long hair with like corduroys and a tie-dye t-shirt on. And um, One of these things is not like the yeah, other. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I remember the crop science class where we were being introduced to Roundup Ready corn and soybean. Okay. So they, what they basically did is they took the, the genes from Roundup and inserted them into the seeds of corn and soybean. So you could broadcast Roundup all over your field and the corn and the soybean are going to be totally fine, but all the weeds are going to start dying off. Interesting. So it's, 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 uh, it's a very uh, selective in the... Re- that only that corn and the soybean are going to be resistant to it. Right. They do it with wheat. Um, there's all sorts of other crops that they do it with. And so it, I was the kid in the class, you know, raising his hand and being like, Oh, what are the impacts to the, you know, everything else around it? You know, right, like, yeah. you know, what about the soil? What's going on there? We're killing off everything else. And so it would, it, it was like, oh, they just kind of brushed me off. Oh, and, you oh know, Patrick's got his hand up again. Oh, this guy. <laughs> Interesting. All right. So that's kind of how I was really introduced to, to, to that side of, of, of agriculture. Big ag yeah. is what you call it, yeah. right? Monsanto, Dow, oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, all these big agriculture companies. Um, and so a lot of what we do now is driven by them. A lot of what we eat in the grocery store is, is, right. is driven by how much we can grow. Maximize those yield. Maximize right. those profits. Um, everything should be able to be done sitting in the in the in the cab of a three hundred thousand dollar piece of machinery. Right. You right. know, it's just the the amount of land that's that's just being gobbled up by big corporations in our country is is crazy. The small farmer, there is no small farmer. Right. It's so hard to make money farming. Mm-hmm. If I could make money farming, I would I would love to do it. Right. I can't match my current income as a farmer. It just it, without putting in a lot of time and energy right. into it, right? So it's just, it's it, we're in a weird st- area right now. We're in a weird kind of time. Yeah, I, I agree. Feel. There's a there's a book that was introduced to me a while back called Franken Wheat, hmm. and it's a uh, a book basically hmm. about the GMOs being hmm. added into and all that stuff into the American or the Western style uh, farming agriculture, right? And uh, I it, I can't remember the author of the book, but basically what they're saying is that you know, any, any products that are made pretty much post-World War II, you know, have some kind of GMOs in it, some kind of like fr- wheat was the example mm-hmm. here. So with wheat, they tried different ways to grow wheat really, really fast, right? And the first time they grew it, it was really thin and really, and really long and it broke easily. And so what they settled on was it to grow very thick and very, and very stout, but grows quickly. And so they're like, okay, that works because it's thick, it's hardy, it can hold on and then we can process that. Well, now we have this rampant um, celiac disease in the mm. West, you know, but you know, there's there's countless uh, accounts of people that have, quote unquote, celiac disease that go to somewhere like Italy and can have mm. wheat and can have pizza and can have all these things because it's the original strain of what wheat right. was. It's not this modified strain of what we've now been ingesting. So to your point, which you're raising your hand and asking the question at Murray State, it's like, we, I, mean, I think we're asking those questions now, but we need to really be good about what okay so the immediate solution is great the the engine for right for example like the combustion engine solved a ton of problems no mm-hmm. more horsepower we didn't need to wait till the horses were were calm and we didn't have to water them put gas in an engine start that fucker up and we're good to go right we didn't know it was going to cause pollution global warming and all this shit it solved the problem back then right right and so i get you know again we we solved a quote unquote problem by being able to grow 
uh, fruits and vegetables at a mass rate. But now, now we're seeing that, but we're still fucking doing it, mm-hmm. right? Now we're seeing it. We, why do we have cancer? Why do we have all these uh, autoimmune dis- deficiencies? Why do we have all these things that have just recently become very, very regular in our world? Look at the fucking shit we're putting in our bodies. And it's, it, it's the, the, the crazy thing is that it's spreading too. So that population of GMO wheat is mm-hmm. not only, it, it's, it's spreading to, to roadsides. It's mixing and hybridizing with the farmer across the street that isn't using GMO. Well, now if he's trying to save his seeds for the next season and they're being cross-pollinated mm-hmm. with this GMO field over here, then it's a little, you know, now, yeah. now he's got some some uh something he doesn't want right right he can't control that so it's uh so even if you opt out of it you're pretty much forced yeah now you've got this they call it super wheat the one that grows in you know ditches and because it's hard to get rid of yeah you can't spray it because it's got roundup in it right yeah okay all right so now we're creating this other like weird ecological like why (laughs) right yeah i just you know i just read an article and i don't know if they were released yet but in california the 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 fda just not fda the epa sorry passed a um uh the admittance to release genetically modified mosquitoes Hmm. into california and florida and i think the 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 idea was i can't remember the the reason that they were doing it but they're they're releasing these genetically modified mosquitoes and now those mosquitoes are going to get out there and start mating with current mosquitoes and now we're going to have these like super mosquitoes that might be resistant to all these things, you know? And and again, it's like, why are we, who's asking these questions? Like, where's the research coming from? Like I, there are brilliant minds in this world that are asking questions, but are we giving them the the platform to listen to them? It's, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's, it's moving a huge ship in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, that's, that's, it, it all has to start local. It all has to start within your own community and supporting your local farmers and, Asking your farmers at the farmer's market questions about the food. Um, how did they grow it? What are they growing it in? Um, how many chickens do you have turning your compost? You right. know, I mean, it's just just getting to know your farmer gives you more connected to your food. And that's that's what really permaculture is to me. It's, it, it's, it's having people get connected to growing things on their on their land. Even if you are in a small little apartment with just a little balcony, you can still do stuff with with plant with with pots and you can still I remember composting. My first um apartment compost yeah. was a just a Tupperware container. I just I just got a Tupperware container and I drilled some holes in the bottom of it and had a tray and um, started shredding up some newspaper as kind of the base and then all of a sudden I just started throwing my coffee grounds everything and now i've got like i mean you i don't even know how many compost (laughs) systems i have right now um it's there's a lot there's a lot with all the different kind of animal uh droppings i get um i can really experiment with my compost systems and um so just starting small you're closing that loop you're Mm. you're first of all you're not taking your waste and putting it in the garbage which, which goes Often to no man's land that we're never going to see again. Right. We're just taking our our waste and putting it into somebody else's ecosystem. We just don't know it. I mean. Right. So trying that was one of the first things was like try to limit like my garbage bag to like one a week. You know, it's just mm. it's just Liz and I, right? So it's like right. we shouldn't have a ton. Um, and so that was an easy way for us to start. And then it was you know it just kind of grew from there as far as closing the loops and. Um, well, do you mind so? Uh, and I, this, this might be elementary, mm-hmm. but you know, there's, there's terms that I think people need to find. 
you know, like compost, for mm-hmm. example. Like I know what compost is. I understand the co- the concept behind compost, but let's take, okay, so I don't have a farm. I live mm-hmm. in a house. I'm in a residential area. What is compost looking like for me? Sure. Like, you know, how would I compost? What would I compost? You know, what would mm-hmm. that process look like? So there's a lot of different ways to compost. So, um, I have a good friend of mine that just got one of those bins that um, are on a plat, like kind of a round platform, and you and it's got a handle, and you turn it like a big bing, bingo yeah, thing. You know? yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. So you know, he goes out and he and maybe once a week he'll put um, his, his 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 stuff from the kitchen. So when we're talking about stuff from the kitchen, I'm thinking like uh, coffee grounds, um, eggshells, greens, vegetables. No dairy, no meat, no mm. fish. You could probably do fish. But it would just kind of, it might smell up your compost a little bit. Uh, fish is super high in nitrogen. There's a lot of studies about um, finding finding salmon um, DNA and root system of trees. Really? Yeah. So like, you know, Bear will take that, that carcass, drag it up into the forest, yeah. eat it, leave, you know, just some skin and bones down there. All of a sudden those break down super high in nitrogen, the the the, the, the plants, the trees, they all take up that nutrients wow. and use it or you lose it. Right. right so, yeah. um, so, so fish is sometimes okay. Um, uh, what else do we put in there? Um, so it's really just kind of your vegetables, your fruits. Um, those are great. And so once a week he'll put that in there and then kind of crank it, turn mm-hmm. that, that compost tumbler, I guess, if you will. Okay. And, uh, what that does is it produces a lot of air going through the through the the decomposing material, which which speeds up that anaerobic bacteria munching everything down. If you've got worms in there, um, worms kind of help do it too. Mm, okay. um, some people use what's called a green cone, so they'll they'll bury a green cone in the backyard, kind of dig down, you know, two or three feet deep hole, and then there's these green cones that you can buy that's got a lid on top of it. Um, and you just add it to it. So that's called a slow composter. You're not really turning that compost mm, okay. down there. So you're just, you're just throwing debris on top of it, and it slowly breaks down over time. It's like the heat of the earth. Yeah, kind of, heat of the earth. Yep. Okay. If you throw, if you mix up your greens, so there's like a carbon to nitrogen ratio that you kind of look for. And when it's carbon to nitrogen would be, it would be green to brown. Okay. So like uh, brown, I'm thinking like leaves in the fall, mm-hmm. like that's a great source of carbon. When it's greens, I'm thinking like weeds that I'm pulling from the garden, Okay. Uh, you know, an old head of lettuce or something, cabbage, mm. something like that. Uh, so getting that kind of good mixing on the, of it in there. So that's, a, that's another way to do it. Like I said, I did, I started mine with just, and I still have a, a Tupperware container and yeah. I've got kind of three Tupperware containers where once one gets filled up, I switch it to another one. Once that one gets filled up, I switch it to another one. By the time I get to my third one, it's ready for the garden. Mm. Um, I have chickens everywhere, so they kind of get inside mine and chickens, um, they don't eat avocado pits. So like, I've, I have a huge bowl, like a five-gallon um, uh, planter just full of avocado pits that <laughs> I have no idea what I'm going to do with. Right. I, oh, Liz, Liz was doing some research on mm-hmm. how to clean our, uh, our llama fur. So we shear our llamas every year. Yep. And apparently if you soak them in avocado pits, they produce a dye of some sort. Oh, interesting. So I think that might be what I do with those avocado pits. There you go. So you everything's know, got a use. Everything's got a use. And oh, that is, damn. that is what permaculture is, is everything that it's on the farm has a specific use. 
mostly everything. Right. I have, I have three peacocks, and they don't really have a... Well, they, they do kind of have a little bit of use. They're beautiful to look at, first uh-huh, of all. Uh-huh. Like, these peacocks are... I see you've got some feathers here. Oh, yeah. Oh, in, yeah. The, in, the, in the room, um, we have feathers everywhere. <laughs> the peacocks are great. I think they're, they're just like that beautiful animal that we we get to look at and uh and they're loud they're well they are Ooh. loud they're they're the first ones that tell us that a coyote's around okay so they'll they'll kind of yell out um and then um uh, then we also have guinea fowl they kind of go crazy the roosters start going off a little bit and mm-hmm. this is a very busy time of the year for the coyotes they're uh just waking up they and... are uh we've had some some losses of chickens here oh, in the last man. couple weeks due to coyotes yeah um, We've got the llamas, which act as a protectorate most of the time, but they're slick. Yeah. They're, they're slick. squirrely little guys. They're smart. Yeah. Yep. Very smart. Uh, we name all our all the animals on the property. So, that's beautiful. Yeah, you know. You know, and that's that's the thing. It's like if you love them, they're part of your family, yeah. you name them. Even if the coyotes. All... Oh, good for Even you. Even the coyotes. <laughs> Even the Carl. Carl. Even Carl. Carl the coyote. Carl. We've got herons, you know, uh, Harriet the heron, you yep. know, like she likes to hang out. We've yep. got eagles and... Oh, that's great. And, you know, that's, you know, for me, that's that's the epitome of permaculture. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not like you're fighting the coyotes, you know, it's understanding they're part of their ecosystem, yep. right? No, you don't want them yep. to eat your livestock and stuff, but you know what? Carl's got to eat too, yep. you know? I've Carl, got 11 man. acres. And so when you think of permaculture, we think of it in zones, so zone zero is like the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, your indoor plants, maybe like how you start your compost system. Zone two is like the, the zone, like just directly outside of your house. So really um, high intensive, high turnover things like your, your herb garden or like a vegetable garden, um, a chicken coop um, that might even be in zone one. Zone two might even be like your shelters or your orchard or like where you grow berries mm. Um, zone four is going to be like a pasture or like timberland. Okay. Um, and then zone five is like wild. Mm. So that's kind of how I approach it is like, all right, these coyotes are in zone five. Fine. They like to walk all the way up to zone two. <laughs> okay. How do I get them to stop walking all the way up to zone two and picking off my chickens? Well, I got to put up fencing or, you know, we've got to like figure something else out, you right. know? So it's just... It's a lot of like finding problems and then coming up with a multitude of solutions and and working through them. Yep. I heard a, I heard a quote yesterday. It's when you cross a river, you try to feel each stone mm. as you cross the river. So you take it slow. Yeah. Instead of like trying to run, then all of a sudden like, oh, there's a really big stone right over there, and you jump right on it, but it's on a poor foundation, mm. and you slip and you fall off of that stone. Yeah. And so it's it's uh, I thought that that little analogy really resonated with me and like how like we're trying to, to rehab this farm from the 1950s. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. I, uh, I read a story recently about a tribe in Africa that is, um, it's been growing, you know, their agricultural side is growing. And, uh, and so with that, you know, they're, they're putting their farms out a little bit farther, you know, it's extending a little bit farther, close to tree lines where there's elephants and other wild animals. And so the elephants have um, gotten upset and they basically, they're like, nope, you're taking our land. And so what they've done is they start going into the, the farms and they start like tramping at all, you know, all the agriculture and all the, the food that's being grown, just demolishing the, the, the farmlands. And so 
it's an African tribe. They, they work with that land. Like, they understand. Like, that's not even, like, permaculture is probably not even a word for them. It's just mm-hmm. life, right? That's just what it life is. is. Yep. And so their solution to this was, okay, so we don't want to kill the elephants. Elephants are awesome. We want to expand because we have bigger families and blah, blah, blah. So how do we do this responsibly? So they found out, what they figured out was that bees um, and elephants don't really get along. And so, and they wanted bees, they wanted honey and stuff like that too. So they put on the perimeter of their farm, they put up bee boxes every about like 15 feet or so. And so when the elephant started to approach again, now they heard bees and they're like, Mm. ah, fucking bees. We don't like the bees. And it started keeping them away. Yeah. You know, and it's like, holy cow, that's great. I mean, I mean, granted... This is another example of humans moving into wildlife and taking that up. Right. But at least it's more of a responsible way this time instead of like get out there and kill all those elephants, take their tusks, we'll make some money for the village and then we'll grow from there. It's like, no, they need to be here as much as we need to be here. How do we play this infinite game that everybody wins, right? Okay, let's put something out there that's more natural that'll deter them. Sorry, find a new place, but we're not killing people. We're not killing things. Yeah, I'm just, I'm thinking of a, of a really ornery elephant right now being stung by a whole bunch of bees. Yeah, dude. Oh, the gentle giants, man. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to be around those damn things. Well, that that reminds me of uh, so over in eastern Washington in the uh, in the in the in the in the grape fields, um, they use the above the grapevines. They'll have a speaker and they'll they'll send out the sound of a kestrel. Okay. And so what that does is that freaks out all the other birds that want to come in and like swipe down and, and, and eat the, eat the grapes. Okay. And so it's just, it's another way. So it's, what we're doing is we found a system that, that deters either elephants or whatever birds are eating the, the berries over there. And that's, that, that is, that's, that's part of just, just this whole, whole idea. Mm-hmm. It's like an advanced scarecrow, yeah. huh? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. You try to mimic nature as much as you can. Nature is the best teacher that, right. that is out there. Yep. I think you know if when you're when you're looking at a design, um, you try to mimic nature. I try to at least. If if you ever try to do like an herb spiral, you ever heard of an herb spiral? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So spirals are everywhere in nature. Um, when I first started learning about spirals was the Fibonacci sequence. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like I, I learned it and then all of a sudden I started seeing it everywhere. And so a great design is an herb spiral, uh, which basically how it's orientated is as it, as it goes up, it's really hard to describe it on the on the radio, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, they can't see yeah, hand movements. They can't yeah, see, right? yeah, I'm doing all this stuff with my hands. But as you grow up with that spiral, um, plants on the north side are going to be able to You'll, you'll plant plants that are more acclimated to being on the north side, on the north side of the spiral. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a little bit shadier on that side due to, due to how your spiral's built up. And so things on the west side and the south side are going to love the sun. And, mm-hmm. um, and then you can kind of play with your levels on it. So anytime you can kind of bring an element of, of nature into your design pattern um, is, is super fun. It's, yeah. You know planting things in a hexagon, you know, just, just like bees do, you know, I mean, they, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's all sorts of interesting fractals that you can, you can invite into a design like that. Right. Yeah. Right. When you really, yeah. When you keep it close to nature, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's, you know, that's one of the issues that we have with a lot of the, uh, the supplements that we have right now. Like you can grow holy basil, for example, right? Holy basil, what they've found for that is it's good for your brain. It, it helps decalcify, um, you know, damaged brain cells. It helps with uh, Alzheimer's, all this stuff with your brain. So yeah, you can grow that and, and, and chop that up and eat it, right? 
or you can go to the store and take a supplement that says it's holy basil, right? Back in the, you know, in Ayurvedic days when, uh, you mm. know, when we used to harvest things by hands, um, in Ayurveda, that's, uh, the sister science of, uh, of yoga, yep. right? It's a yep. dial of, mm-hmm. uh, of, of looking at the body. These, and not just them, but I'm using this as an example, but these, these practitioners, when they were harvesting the, 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 the herbs and the fruits and stuff, they would sing chants to them mm-hmm. to help activate all the proper, the properties, the healing properties mm-hmm. in that, you know? And, and so again, like if we're just, you know, using these machines to, um, even if we're, even if we're growing the actual crop, we're using these machines to physically rip this stuff out. It's being manhandled through this process. There's no love in there mm-hmm. anymore. There's no like speaking to and activating of you know, and so there's like this big chain that's being missed with the human connection to the things that we're all a part of. Like, I'm part hummingbird bones and stardust <laughs> and fucking grapefruit yes. and like all kinds of shit. So is that fucking piece of corn I'm about yep. to eat, right? It might taste like corn, but it's got all the same shit in it that I got, right? So like, eat the natural thing. Eat the thing that's like, that you've grown, that you've put your time and your love and effort into, or if you can, or a friend of yours, right? We have a friend, uh, Andy Chris Caden, mm-hmm. right? He's, uh, yoga's with us and he's got a bunch of chickens and he brings his chicken eggs in. Monica, my girlfriend's a vegan, but she'll eat his chicken eggs because <laughs> she knows where they yeah. come from. She yeah. loves him. She knows he takes care of the stuff, right? There's no crap in there, you know? So it's just good stuff. I, I think that goes back to what my what I was doing with my soil this weekend. Mm. So I feel whenever I get my hands in the soil, and there's studies about what it does to your brain mm-hmm. and how it just kind of slows things down. And when you think about it, my hands are just – a lot of people think it's weird, you know? Like, oh, God, your hands are so dirty getting the soil. I could never touch soil like that. But I can feel the temperature of the soil, and I can tell that the soil is not quite warm enough mm-hmm. to support a new seed. That's beautiful. And, you know, I can, I don't think I can really feel the, the microorganisms, but man, when I meditate, I can, I can kind of get on this like weird kind of atomic level Mm -hmm. and try to like imagine, you know, just these little nematodes and other little things that are going on in the soil. And, you know, soil is basically a a lot of air Mm. and over time it kind of, it, it, it comes down and it kind of compacts over time. And as it compacts, it loses its virility and, and life. Mm. And so when it's super big and fluffy like that, I mean, it's just, I think of it like a big motel of just like really, really small things. Just having a great party. Hell yeah. And like, they're just like consuming everything yep. and it's just like ride or die. Yeah. And <laughs> hey Frank, bring the chicken poop in. Yeah. We're almost out. <laughs> oh man. They're just like having a great time. And then, you know, then we get to put our plants in there yep. and they're holding up all these root systems in that soil. And the roots are like, hell yeah, Frank. Yeah. Man. <laughs> That's awesome. And, you know, it just, and that's why you can grow such great vegetables at home by yourself with the, with the, with the compost that you build. And then, then you get to eat it. And then that's when like, you're sitting there eating dinner and I'm sure Liz gets a kick out of it. Every time like I go and like harvest a whole bunch of food and I bring it inside and I make dinner and, and I'm sitting there like eating the salad. I'm like, this is the best salad ever. Yeah. <laughs> She just kind of like rolls her eyes and like, yeah, these are great. Uh-huh. <laughs> this arugula is awesome. Yeah, yeah. 
but there is i mean there there is that connection when yeah. you make it yeah. when you when you like grow it and then you prepare it and you I make had the it the seed in it. my hand and now uh. i'm eating the the leaf that it i mean it's just go out and garden people go out and start a start a garden this weekend it's it's springtime mm-hmm. you never know what's going to happen in this world right prices of everything are going up i said this 2 years ago whenever covid started everybody's centered in their house right Go grow a garden. What else are we doing right now? Mm-hmm. There's this there's this plague that's out there that people are getting sick and dying. We need to focus on our health now more than ever. Right. So go out, grow a garden, grow some good food for your body. Right. Um, it reminds me. I mean, sh- I mean, shit. If you want to take it to a. Uh, like during World War II, victory gardens were the big thing. Oh. When our boys went to went to war, the women stepped up and and started working in the factories, Rosie mm-hmm. the Riveter, right. and and just you know kept our kept our system going. But victory gardens was this thing advertised everywhere, every small little town. They turned all these little street corners that you're talking about in the inner city. They turned those into victory gardens, and they grew food for people in the area because. Huh. All our boys were at war. We're right. not growing the same amount of food on the same, and, and farms were a lot smaller back then. Yeah, you know, so things like that. I mean, it's just like we never know what's going to happen. But if you can be a little bit more sustainable on your own end, and you know, have some chickens so you can eat eggs every day, right. and you know, it's just it. Um, it, it just makes you feel a little bit more prepared and ready. I am not a doomsday prepper by any standpoint. Right, right. Um, but I do feel like if if who was it? Cypress Hill said, when the shit goes down, you better, better be, be ready. ready. Fuck yeah. Dude. I mean, I kind of feel that way at times, <laughs> yeah. you know? <laughs> you know, and that's it. You, you bring up a really good point, you know? Like, we, I mean, and I'm not going to blanket this for everybody. COVID was a, a dark time for a lot of people, right? Absolutely. But it was a time for a lot of people to have freedom, right? To, to be in a place where they didn't have to go to work all the time and to just really kind of explore themselves. And to your point, like, in one of the biggest, I mean worldly potential disasters that we've been through as a, as a humanity, we didn't focus really any at at all on our health. It was like, how much money can we give the people to make sure that they feel safe? That's great. But okay. Now we're all trapped in our rooms and our houses. Yes. Okay. There's a, there could be a shortage of supply. We don't know if there's going to be trucks that are going to be delivering food anymore. Hey, Hey world, here's how you grow food. Everybody still has access to, to, to TV, to internet, to something. Here's a public service announcement from the United States on how to grow your own fucking food. Here's a compost. Here's how to make compost. Here's some seeds. We'll give you fucking seeds. Yeah. You know, let's start this yeah. up. Because, like, to your point, like, we don't know what's going to happen. Like, we're seeing this world in a very interesting way right now. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people realize how unprepared that we are for the world that's not not industrialized like it is right now. Like if shit goes sideways, can I grow my own food? Can I protect myself? Can I survive in nature? Can I, do I know what berries to eat and what not to eat? You know, and that, that seems like a lot, but it's also not, that's not, I mean, just think about how many bullshit things that you know, like who signed the declaration of independence, like what year this thing fucking happened, but you don't know how to control and manage your own fucking body and your own humanity. You know, like I've talked about this on a previous podcast about like rites of passages, Mm. you know, like we should, you know, not should, but I think it's an opportunity for us to relook at what current rites of passages would be, you know, like in the past, 
this is a broad brush statement, but you know, like, Hey, go walk in the, in the woods for a little while, find your humanity and then come back and share that with us. Mm-hmm. Might not be so susceptible for everybody now, right. you know, it's not the right thing. <laughs> like, Hey, 12 year old, here's a face full of mushrooms. Good luck. Follow yeah. the moon, <clears throat> you know, but like, what can that be for us now? Like here's, yeah. here's breath work that mm-hmm. you can use to up and down regulate your nervous system. Mm-hmm. Here's how to grow some basic foods that you can use year round or seasonally or within this. They, these spoil really fast. These don't, mm-hmm. these are easy to grow. These are harder, blah, 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 whatever it is. But if we start learning that at a young age, <sighs> it's second nature. It's so important. It's you know? so important. So, uh, my, my master's, um, program that I did at UW, mm-hmm. uh, the project that, that I had to complete was I created a, a high school botany program at the University of Washington Arboretum. Oh, yeah. And so I, I would bring um, high school kids out and basically do kind of like what I was doing as a, as a TA in the botany department and, um, and, and doing plant identification and talking about plants. But this time it's in the field where where I can kind of be this like kooky camp leader kind of guy and talk about plants and um, introduce them to plant families. And so I think that uh, education is, is, has to be primary right. with, with, with any kind of this big titanic shift that we need to do. Um, kids need to be the one who need to be learning about it. Right. Last Child in the Woods was a book that I kind of really relied upon during my time there. Hmm. Um, and it's it's all about this kind of nature versus nature um, uh, attitude and and how much uh, kids get out of, out of learning and being in the field and just being allowed to like create mm-hmm. and get their hands dirty. And um, uh, earlier, a couple weeks ago, I was walking around with a, with a customer and she had a, I think he was probably four or five and he just carried around this little shovel and like, he was just digging over in the corner and he was talking to himself and he was creating and, 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 and she was just kind of like telling him not to so much. And I'm like, let him do it. Yeah. I'm like, I have no children. I have no, I have nothing to base this upon, but I know some stuff. Right. I'm like, this is really good for him. Yeah. And she just kind of laughed and like, we just let him do it. And it was great. But, um, you know, I, I taught environmental education. Uh, so I did an AmeriCorps student conservation association program in New Hampshire Mm. back when I was in my early twenties. Um, you know, when you have no, like kind of don't know what you want to do in life. I mean, I was, I worked as a as a as a gardener for a long time, as like kind of growing up in in, in high school and college. But uh, I did this AmeriCorps program where uh, the, it was ten months, and the first uh, three months during the winter time, we taught environmental education to kids in Manchester and Concord. And so I was I was like this like fun loving teacher going in, and I was actually teaching kids about compost oh, and. Yeah. Um, I, I, I put on a French chef hat <laughs> and I had this really, really, horn, really geeky, uh, French, uh, accent. Yeah. And so I, oh, oui, oui. you want some compost? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the kids just ate it up, oh, you know? Yeah. So it was like, I, I have, I hope that some, that some of that little kernel just like stuck in those kids' heads, mm-hmm. um, of this like, you know hippie dreadlock guy teaching me about compost with, when chef I'm like, yeah, with a chef hat on you know i think one one class i did a crocodile dundee impersonation the entire time <laughs> you know I, but i i will i will say this man 
I guarantee some of those kids remember <laughs> that so, shit, man. man. <laughs> I, so I grew up, uh, my mom was a YMCA. Uh, I was a nice. wide ride, yeah. right? My mom yep. grew up in the Y. And, uh, and so I've been proxy to like those goofy ass camp counselors yeah. that like have this weird approach, but beautiful messages and not just camp counselors, teachers in general. And, and I can honestly say like that wackiness, that goofiness, especially when you're a kid, yeah. that fucking sticks yeah. with you, man, because you're an adult that doesn't act like <laughs> other adults. Right. And that's special when, when a, when a child can see an adult be a child too yeah. and have childlike tendencies, that's beautiful yeah. because that's what we all want. Yep. Like we don't want to be serious, stick up our ass kind of people. Like I want to go with the flow. I want to be, I want to be able to laugh if I fall on my face and not be upset because somebody else found that funny too, you know, but we lose that as we get older. Mm -hmm. So like having that and giving that example to those children, I guarantee somebody's going to remember that. I try not to lose that, that giddiness too, as yeah. an adult. You know, oh God, this, this Pittman class we were in today <laughs> at one point at the end of the class, uh, uh, the Saturday night fever song came on and like, we were all started clapping during class and it was just like, we were all just laughing and man, that's what it's about. It's it really about, is. I mean, God, what endorphins are released when you're smiling and you're having a good time. It's just, everything is a little bit more easy to take on. Definitely. There's a podcast I listened to, uh, hosted by Aubrey Marcus. Great guy. And he's got a quote that he likes to say. It's, uh, you can tell the spiritual master by the sound of their laughter. And I, <laughs> I find that 100% true, yeah. man. You know, you got those stoic, you know, like, I'm a spiritual master guy and I'm not going to fucking smile and I'm just, you know, standing at attention all the time. And then you got the Dalai Lama over here, like playing dice with kids and like fucking coloring mandalas and shit. I'm like, that's the guy yes, I want to be. Yes. I want to be that. Cause that's what's figured out. Amen, you know? yeah. <laughs> oh man. So with, um, uh, so with gardening in general, um, you had talked about how gardening today is a bit different than the way it used to be. What's uh, you know, is it good different? Is it bad different? Is it progressive in a way? It's, it, it, it changes a lot. Um, I think it's, I think there's a lot more younger people getting involved with it. And the, and the, and the gardening industry as a whole, sales did skyrocket during COVID. When, when, when people were stuck, the garden centers just like they ran out of stuff. Yeah. Um, they, uh, so I feel like there is, there is a precipice of people like wanting to know where their stuff comes from. Mm -hmm. But there's also a, a lot of people that just don't care right it's just the they don't it takes time it takes energy um it takes a little bit of forethought right. um so i think if what i'm seeing is a lot of people who have kids are the ones who are starting these gardens now cool that's kind of what i'm seeing on the industry side um and uh, i it's 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 encouraging to see that yeah. yeah yeah and i think with like the rise of farmers markets especially you know out here in seattle i mean it's just there's a farmer's market almost every single day somewhere in the city. It feels like, yeah. Um, but man, you go somewhere else in this country and it's just, you know, good luck. Yeah. Good luck. You it know, really so there's these food deserts that are everywhere out here. Um, and so, you know, how we can start minimizing these places where, you know, people's only meals are going to either fast food or a, uh, you know, a, a gas station, right. You know, and that's, that's the reality of a lot of people's lives right now. Yep. It's, it's the convenience. Factor. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah. And you know, permaculture is a slow way of life. It's that, it's that walking through pebbles. Yeah. Feeling each pebble as you walk across that river. Right. But there's that awareness that it brings, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that's, 
I think we've gotten not we the 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 collective we have gotten a little too comfortable with that instant gratification, mm-hmm. right? I order something, it's here. Amazon, right? Amazon was big during COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, I utilize the shit out of Amazon. I order something, and sometimes the same day it would show right. up, you know. And so we're in this instant gratification. We do a thing, we expect the thing to come back. So when it takes us two months, a week, whatever it is to grow something, you know, it's like no, it doesn't happen right away. But the long-term gratification is there because not only are you now building confidence in yourself to know that you can survive and you can supply yourself with these things, but you're really subconsciously changing that wiring of that instant gratification. You're dialing into that, I'm going to wait. We can see that if I do this now, it'll benefit me down the road. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do this or not do this thing and then I can reap the benefits Mm -hmm. of we're losing that because mm-hmm. now everything is right here, you know? So if we get that, that, that space and that time again, and I mean, life's the longest thing we're ever going to do, right? Why not like fill mm-hmm. it with cool shit? Yeah. Netflix will always be here. Mm-hmm. You can always find something on Netflix, sit down when you want to and watch that, or take this two hours that you would dedicate to Netflix and go fucking learn about composting yeah. or go learn some cool new trick. You know, there's all these things we have time if we looked at it in a different way. But, you know, in our society, we're so burnt from running from one place to the other that we don't feel we have time because we got to have our couch time. Mm-hmm. We got to have our downtime, whatever it is, you know. I think a lot of it is um, it, it's it, it's something that just kind of needs to become a little bit more of a habit for some people. Right. Um, we are throughout the history of our evolution. We were so connected to the earth. We were just every gardening wasn't really a thing. It was just where you live. Right. Um, and so now that we've been so far removed from that, when people get back out there and they start doing it, not only one, does it, is it physical? So I, I heard something where somebody said that it was a, wow. So I heard some, somewhere somebody said, yeah, it's a really good one. You should write that one down. Yeah, I am. That's going to be on yeah. show notes. Yeah. Someone said something. <laughs> there was a study where, uh, an hour of gardening was the equivalent of an hour of lifting weights. Really? I, 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 yeah, I, I don't know if that's 100% true or not. Right. Um, I definitely feel after an hour sculpt class that an hour of gardening is not comparable. Um, (laughs) But when you're out there gardening, you're you're, you're getting some physical exercise. Uh And then you're getting that mental side of it. Like I was talking about with my fingers in the soil, you get this kind of like slow down approach. Yeah. Where it's, it's not about who is your next notification or what the next ding on your phone is. Um, I like to have my phone in the garden when I see something really cool and I want to take a picture of it. There you go. Um, I think that that's, that's really the only, or if I'm listening to a podcast, which I recommend this one. There you um, go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then lastly, I think with, with um, kind of that mentality, there's a lot of uh, research going into Alzheimer's and people gardening. And so Wow. Are they really looking forward to what the end goal is of their gardening or is it something else? Right. That they're just kind of enjoying being out in nature and, you know, oh, there's a bird up there, you know, fluttering around or a, a butterfly. I mean, it's just, it, I think from, from the beginning to the end, being outside and being in tune with nature leads you to your best life. It, 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 it's, it's, that's how it is for me. Yeah. It's the passion. It's the joy that, that I've come to find with it. Right. And, you know, I love your, your example of the hands in the dirt. 
And, you know, cause I have a lot of friends that, um, that aren't in touch with themselves. They still think of their body as a machine and mm-hmm. I just fill the machine and the machine's fine until it breaks and I go get it fixed. But that intuition that you have from having the time to put your hands in that dirt, right. For that example, that could be totally lost on somebody else. Mm-hmm. But the gnosis with the G that you have, the knowing that that is a thing and that you can tell the temperature, you mm-hmm. can feel that, right? That's That comes from that experience mm-hmm. and that trust that you developed with yourself, right? And we all have that intuitive nature. That's not magic. That's not something you we, we have and we lost. It's all within us. It might be atrophied, right? Mm-hmm. Because we don't use it a lot. But the more we listen to that intuition, the more... That's, that, that strength starts to come in and it, and it permeates through everything, right? Because if you can listen to your body and tell from the breath you just took that maybe, there, maybe there's something going on there. Maybe there's hunger. Mm. Maybe I'm about to like have an asthma attack, you know, something like mm-hmm. that. But you're paying attention to your body as you're paying attention to the world around you. Mm-hmm. And when we can have that focus again and really dial back into that, I think we'll start to gain some of our humanness back mm-hmm. and see the magic. Because we are fucking magical creatures. Yeah. I heard a quote one time from a guy that said, humans are gods. We're just shitty fucking gods. We can create <laughs> things like that. We can destroy things like that, yeah. right? It doesn't take yeah. a lot. <clears throat> We've just gotten so used to the power that it's not even it's not even uh, interesting to us anymore. And we just abuse it. Ah, fucking throw that thing away. Light that thing on fire. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Out of sight, out of mind, right? But when we, when we know that every decision that I make is going to affect somebody, the person... The person that just cut me off in traffic. Mm. I love that person because that person's me. That mm. person's just me in a more of a hurry than I am. Maybe their kid's in the hospital. They got to go fucking get their kid. Maybe somebody, the babysitter didn't show mm-hmm. up. Right? Whatever it is. But instead of shaking my fist and saying, fuck you. I was just thinking you about know, that It's today. like, you know, yeah, I hope you're safe. Yeah. Please travel safely. Yeah. I hope you get there with some time and I hope you find peace. Right? And even if that person doesn't hear you, which they won't, you're yeah. in a car, they're in a car, it's the intent. Mm-hmm. Right? If we hold on to that anger, if that, that that's this is my lane, yeah. you just cut me yeah. off in my lane, yeah. my little jeopardizing bubble. my body, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. We're all in this together, man. <laughs> it's fucking crazy, man. Um, so, yeah, so that intuition, man, I think that that's a goal that, that I'm working towards right now, listening to my body. Mm-hmm. When I meditate, I listen to me, I start to hear those intuitive mo- uh, moments. Um, little messages here and there and it's not like somebody in a bullhorn in my ear like it's literally sometime like a flick of a hair on my left elbow and i'm like "Ooh, what did that mean you know <laughs> but it's that it's, it's information that's yeah. coming in yeah you know um so with uh with gardening now like from you know residential gardening to um to in in an apartment gardening right mm-hmm. Are we able to, or would you even recommend, can you grow things inside the house, right? Yeah. Like vegetables, fruits, stuff like that. Yeah. So there's these really cool, um, uh, they're like these light columns. So it's this, it's this vertical gardening that Mm. you you talked about earlier. So it's, it's, it's this column with, um, these grow lights that are in, that basically you can have on them. Um, and then it's, it's a nice little column where there's little cells that the plants can be put in and, uh, you can, you can basically grow all sorts of greens with that. Mm. Greens inside are definitely doable if you have the right light. Okay. I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest, um, uh, biggest, uh, hurdle is light yeah. when it comes to growing stuff indoors. Yeah. yeah. Is it the, the constant light or the, the type of light? Probably the type of light okay. I would think. Um, cause oftentimes it's, it's just really can be really direct light when it's not, um, 
all around it, mm. you know? So like the way it's going to grow, you might need to like that column is actually rotatable. So you can mm. kind of keep that, that level of growth even, or else it's just going to grow straight towards the light. Right. You want to rotate it. So it, so it grows more evenly, I guess. Right. And yeah. again, that's paying attention yeah. to what you're doing, yeah. you know, being conscious of yeah. that. I'd say cuttings are something really easy that people can bring mm. inside. So, um, basil you can cut and just stick in water, rosemary, thyme, oregano, mint, mm-hmm. all, these are all part of the, essentially the same family, same plant family, um, that you can cut and just drop in some water. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can grow an avocado from a pit, right? It yep. might be 12, 15 years before you're going to get an avocado, but Good luck. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, we were in Hawaii recently, and uh, it was my first time to Hawaii. First time in, in a tropical place in a long time, but first time to Hawaii. And we're walking around uh, our friend's property. They live off grid and on the mainland in this place called Pauilo. And uh, and we're walking around their property, and uh, Kristen, the one of the the women that live there just grabs this avocado off the tree, like the size of my head. And I have a big fucking head. And she just like, hey, here you go. I'm like, what is this? It's a bowling ball avocado. Like I've never seen that. And all these fruits, like passion yeah. fruits, like star fruit, all these things. She's just walking around like, hey, here, take that. I'm like, ah, that's all these things, man. And this, they're not doing anything to them. Yeah. They're not fertilizing. They're yeah. not like maintaining. It's just like, oh, there's an avocado tree in our property. And yeah. Like, gives us big fucking avocados i mean i feel the same way out here when it's like fall and you can go up above tree line and there's just fields of blueberries that Mm. are just you know like it's just incredible i don't know how many fields of blueberries i've been in but i need more in my life (laughs) um it, it seems like and it's one of these places that i've seen bears in a lot bears love blueberries okay and Bears have no interest in you in a blueberry patch. They're in that blueberry patch so they can just lay there and eat blueberries all day long. What a beautiful sight. Yeah, right? I would it's, love to just yeah. like walk in and bears just like yeah. laying on his back, clawing. Yeah, I've seen it. They just lay on their back and they're just like, <laughs> That's so great. They're just, I, it's just like, this is it, you know? Like, I'm. <laughs> I'm in your world, man. You yes. Know? <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Oh my God. So on your farm that you have, are you, are, do you, do you grow crops also? Or uh, so I just have kind of my, my, my regular kind of vegetable beds that okay. we have. Um, we've got a big, big, uh, pasture right on a, right on a, the Wallace river that the animals kind of graze on. I've got a lot of blackberry. Okay. And so that's what the goats mainly do is oh. they, so when I think of animals, I think of them as equivalent to a machine that I would use in landscaping. Okay. So like a cow and sheep are going to be like your lawnmowers. Okay. They're going to be able to just kind of like graze that surface. They, they probably aren't going to go venture too far off. A goat is like a weed eater. I mean, it's going to go through, it, it, it's going to go into the brush and the brambles and like just eat it all down. Okay. Um, llamas are a little bit of the both. Okay. So they're kind of a little bit more like a hedge trimmer because they're really tall. A little longer neck. Yeah. So they've got this long, long, tall neck. And so like our blackberries are kind of at this like kind of wall around the property. Um, uh, the pigs, I kind of see the pigs as more like a tiller. Okay. So they go in and they kind of like root everything up. And so they've been rooting out a bunch of the thistle that I, that we had in the, in the property, which... Who knew that uh, uh, pigs like thistle root, but right. they do. I'm sure it's super healthy. And yeah. <laughs> wow, that's great. Um, let's see. So the, the chickens are kind of like a rake. Mm-hmm. You know, they just kind of like skim the surface. Um, yeah. So that's that. I, I try to like make sure everybody's got kind of a job. 
That's beautiful. And the blackberry is the is the is the one that that I fight the most. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah that's probably the most stubborn yeah. one out of it all. It really is. It really yeah. is. Do you know the history of blackberry? No. Oh no. man. Oh, this is this Hit is me. A, this is a cool one. So, yeah. um, blackberry. The so we call the blackberry out here Himalayan blackberry. Okay. Its uh, Latin name is Rubus armeniacus, which if you know anything about. Um, uh, Understanding Latin, um, Rubus is the genus, so that's the, the first name in it. And, and Rubus, translated into Latin, is, is basically a bramble. Okay. So there's actually a study of, of batology, which is a study of brambles, which is just... Oh, wow. That's a, that's a tangent, sorry. <laughs> um, so Rubus armeniacus. Armeniacus is the species name. Okay. So that, to me, and, and it's, it's, been, it's been studied that that actually comes from... Armenia, where the plant is actually grown, not okay. Himalaya. All right. So we call it Himalayan blackberry. It's actually Armenian blackberry. That's beside the point. <laughs> it's like it. how we call American Eskimo dogs American Eskimos, yes. but they're really German Spitzes. We just stopped calling that after the World War II. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. So let's go back into eighteen. Let's go back in the eighteen nineties. Right. Um, there's this there's this uh, plant geneticist um, grower down in California named Luther Burbank. Is that name familiar to you at all? It does sound familiar. Yeah, it does, right? Yeah. So uh, Luther Burbank. So there's a park in Mercer Island called uh, Luther Burbank Park. There's one building on it. It used to be a school for um, troubled youth in the 1930s. Mm. And so there was a massive display garden from Luther Burbank. Um, so he would grow his stuff down in California, bring it up here as a display garden, see how it grows in the Pacific Northwest. So Luther Burbank, he was, um, he was really good friends with uh, Henry Ford, um, Thomas Edison. Okay. He was kind of one of these like big brains. One of the it guys of the Yeah, times, exactly. Yeah. Later on in life, some weird stuff happens that I'll get into. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but his main goal was to bring to the to bring to uh, the market interesting plants. Okay, so uh, a spineless cactus oh. was one. Um, there were uh, a, a stone-free peach. So that you can actually still grow a stone-free peach. They're 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 in production. Elephant garlic was one of his. Um, probably his best known was uh, the russet potato. Which, oh, okay. I mean, like that's all over the place. Yeah, now. I mean, every, every single French fry we've probably ever eaten is from a russet potato. Right. Damn, they're good. They are good. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the and so one of the things that he really wanted to grow was a um, the biggest blackberry he could find, mm. and he also wanted it thornless. Which, so he found this, uh, it was a, I think he got it from a plant catalog and he ordered this Himalayan blackberry. So he brought it over, he cross-pollinated it um, with some other stuff and did create the biggest uh, thornless blackberry. He also introduced Himalayan blackberry to the Pacific Northwest. Wow. You literally cannot go anywhere between here and Southern Oregon without finding blackberry on a property. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's in all of our native lands. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Um, it's, uh, yeah. So that's the, that's the history of the blackberry. So he, so, so he was somewhat successful. He made a, a big blackberry without thorns, but yep. is that around still? I mean, uh, it is. That... You can, you oh, can, yeah. you can okay. buy, you can buy a thornless blackberry. Um, okay. and, uh, they are quite delicious. They're huge. Um, but they're not super popular. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, just, just, just to think this one guy. Yeah. Looking Luther through a plant Burbank. catalog and all of a sudden now we have like every single person here knows what a blackberry is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's probably the most distinguishable plant that 
anybody walking down the street knows. We all eat blackberry from like, you know, the end of August to September. Yeah. Just because it's everywhere. Yep. People are always on the side yeah. of the road picking them, all yeah. that shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think our first year at, at our at our farm, I ended up picking probably a good 40 or 50 pounds of blackberry. A good buddy of mine made some blackberry wine, uh-huh. some blackberry brandy. Um, and so we, we freeze berries every single year. So, I mean, I, I love the fact that I'm able to get berries like, and have berries year round, but man, it's like, it's, so it's just, it's just one of those weird things that this guy in the 1890s <laughs> brought it over. And now like I get to eat blackberries all the time, right? Every morning I'll throw blackberries in a smoothie. Like, yeah, <laughs> there you go. There was a, there was a science. That's fucking interesting. I, you know, and I, I love how they can draw that back to this one guy, fucking Luther Burbank. Yeah. yeah God damn it. <laughs> there was a, there was a science, a botanist. Um, yeah, I think he was in New York. I can't remember the guy's name, but his idea was to create a tree that has probably 10 different types of fruit. Mm-hmm. So I wanted yep. to cross, you yep. know, uh, uh, what do they call Grafting. it? Grafting. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, uh, and so we created this tree that is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I don't think, I think there's only one. Um, the idea was to put them into state parks and national mm-hmm. parks and stuff like that, city parks, so that uh, homeless people can eat them, mm. right? And just like yeah. feeds the community. Yeah. And so he created this tree that has like 10 or 10 or some odd different types of fruits that grow in it. And it's this beautiful array of like lavender, light pink colors, Mm -hmm. like all this stuff. It's fucking gorgeous, man. And it's just like, it's ideas like that. Like, yeah, that maybe that idea didn't have the legs it needed to, but my man's thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, he's trying something Mm -hmm. different, you know, Mm -hmm. I love that, you know? Well, that's, that's kind of the small scale stuff that it can be too. So small scale guys typically do this, this kind of work because Mm. they're, they're so in love with what they do. Right. right? So they're able to, you know, breed this great potato generation after generation to where it's, it's just, it's just awesome. Um, when you're talking about that grafting on a tree, I saw it today. So what you can see as you're driving around right now, there's a lot of uh, bitter cherry trees in bloom. Yeah. It's, it's these little white cherry trees that are out here. Um, what you'll end up seeing in probably the next week or two is uh, sometimes you'll see a cherry tree with pink blossoms and white blossoms. Yeah. And so essentially what's going on there is the pink blossom is the ornamental one. It's the one that, the, that it was grown for. It's beautiful. It's grafted on top of a rootstock that has that white blossom. And so what's happened is a sucker or a reversion happens and and that and that older grafted that graft stock mm-hmm. sends up a white bloom out there. So then you can get this like two different colored bloom going on a tree. Once it drops its bloom, you'll never be able to tell there's two different kinds of trees going on there. Hmm. There's two different kinds of flowers. Yeah. So it's just, it, it's interesting stuff. And it's just like, those are the things that I love the oddities in the plant world. There's so many of them that, yeah. you know, from parasitic plants to, you know, just epiphytic plants that don't need any roots at all. They just grow up in the canopies. Right. You know? Yeah. It's so crazy. It's funny. I, I lived in Redmond, uh, probably one of the third or fourth places I lived when I moved up here. And down in Texas, like there's trees or mm-hmm. shit like that, but it, it's not the the same like mm-hmm. things in texas they they grow until they die and then you wake up and they're dead there's no like there's no transition it's just like all right texas is weird so i never really paid attention to nature and all that stuff but when i moved up here nature's everywhere mm-hmm. like, everywhere you look there's scenery mm-hmm. there's mountains there's fucking cool stuff and and so i was living in redmond and i think we moved in in the fall time so no no nothing on the trees and then in the spring 
this tree that was over our balcony had the, both the pink and the white blossoms. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, what the <laughs> fuck is this? I've never seen this. Like, how is this a thing? My girlfriend at the time, we're like talking about it and stuff. But, you know, and it's still like I had not had no idea until this conversation just now. Like, that's just how that works. Yeah, somebody just forgot to prune a, suck, a sucker off the, right. off the tree. And now it's now it's a big branch that's gorgeous. Yep. You know? And it was beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it was great. It's yeah. like little like a little pink and white snow. You know, plants have this amazing way of figuring it out. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing that I've just always – just sometimes you just leave it alone. It's gonna it's gonna take care of itself, and I I, I find that fascinating. Out here, especially, um, if you just leave leave a plot of land go for 15, 20 years, you're gonna get alders growing in it. You're gonna get it's basically gonna start turning into a forest again. Mm-hmm. Probably blackberry. Will end up exactly right. Exactly. Yeah, thinking of it. So that's when you bring the goats in. The goats <laughs> right. eat the blackberry, and then seeds come. Yeah. So then there you go. It's all. It's Circle all. Life. There it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Secession. Plant secession. So those alders. What those alders do is they they fix the nitrogen in the soil. Okay. So they sent their their tap roots super far deep. They only grow to be maybe you know 15, 20 years old, and they fall over and die. But now that nitrogen's in that soil, oh. and so that allows the perfect spot for like a Douglas fir or a cedar, or some other kind of bigger, taller tree to establish its roots in there. Mm. And then all of a sudden, you know, now you've got this like successional species of plants going on, which is what a forest should be. It right. shouldn't just be all the same trees of the same size and age, because then it's just, because that's it's not how it works. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I love uh, I love that the, the we're learning more about trees and mm. how the trees work with the mycelium, oh, and the mycelium so like shuffles all this stuff from here to there. The, and the, like The research is oh, so fascinating yeah. in, the my, in the mycological world. All that little fungi and how they talk to each other. Oh my God, I'm struggling for water over here. Well, hey, hey Frank. <laughs> yeah. Oh fuck, Frank's here again? Uh, bring it on back. <laughs> Frank's like, there's water over here, bro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it's just it's 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 so fascinating. They can talk to each other, you know. Through, uh, we don't even know how they can talk to each right. other. You know, there's there's that bio bio acoustics that happen where plants when they when they grow out they actually break their cells, right? Mm-hmm. So that creates a noise somewhere. Right. Yeah. Do we hear it? No, we yeah. probably don't hear it. But the other plants, other other plants of the similar kind probably hear it. Right. Um, when they hear a, a a bee come flying by, it. All of a sudden, there's a, there's an evening primrose on the I think it's on the the east coast um, that whenever a bee flies by, calcium ions start fluctuating inside the flower, and it allows them to produce more sugar, which makes it more like more attractive, attractive to, to the, the bee. bee. Yeah. yeah. So wow. it won't do it on that first bee, but he knows that plant knows that where there's one bee, there's going to be more bees coming by. Mm-hmm. So it's like I kind of think of it like salivating yeah you know a little bit that's uh, yeah. you know that's so beautiful and yeah. there's there's so much shit like we take we have such an ego when it comes to things that we can see and hear <sighs> like we can yeah. only hear 20 to twenty thousand hertz yeah. there's there's sound outside of that range we can only see certain types of you know there is all types of sight out there right and so it's so egotistical for us to be like us oh, just a plant they, yeah. they're not talking to each other you know and there's a like the guy that developed the lie detector test back in, I think it was the thirties. So he developed the lie detector test and then they were, he was trying to think about what else he could use it on. <clears throat> so he's in his lab one day and he hooks it up to a, a plant and puts the little electrodes on the plant, the little clamp guys, and he puts it on the leaf and he's literally just thinking this in his head. He's having a conversation with himself in the head. He's like, man, what can I do to this plant to hurt it? How could I get a response? Well, maybe if I 
lit a match and then burned it. No, that might be too much. Maybe if I cut the leaf. And he's just, again, conversation in his head. He just happens to look over at the fucking lie detector test and the, the needles are pinging. Mm. They're just going crazy. And he's like, what the hell is going on here? And so he goes over to the plant and he like basically says something mean to the plant. He's like, fuck you or something. And the needles start going crazy. He's like, what the hell? So he got... He tried the opposite and he tried to calm the plant down. He's like, Hey, I'm sorry. I love you. It's all good. Things are cool. And then the needle started slowing down mm-hmm. again. What the hell mm-hmm. is that? Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, we've had that understanding yeah. for almost a century now mm-hmm. and we're still not really doing a lot with mm-hmm. it, you know? And, uh, you know, there was a guy I just saw on, uh, on Instagram the other day that had some homemade device that he made and it had these two little needle electrodes and it went in and then he put him into a fungus, some kind of mushroom. And, uh, and then the electrodes went to some like DJ looking box. It had some knobs and some shit. And he started making music with the electric energies that were coming out of oh. the mushroom. And he started making this cool, Whoa. like dance style music. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes. that's what's up, man. Heart, heart tap, right? tap. <laughs> they're having a fucking party all the time. We just can't hear it. Exactly. You know, we can't see it, but they're fucking doing exactly. it. Exactly. I love talking to plants. I don't know how many people you've had on the podcast that say they love talking to plants, but I, a couple. <laughs> I, I, I find it, I find it therapeutic on my end probably a little bit. Cause you know, like I can just come up and talk to something that it can hear me. I know it can. Hell yeah. Um, and then I, I've just been able to see like the reaction that the plants can get, you know, especially indoor plants. I feel like I probably talk to a little bit more because you can kind of see how they change a little bit on day to day Right. where, you know, you need to water that plant, but yeah. Yeah, you just keep on forgetting because it's in another room or whatever it is. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I'm a big advocate of, of talking to plants. I just, every time I go out and do a plant layout or a plant design, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking to them. You know, it might be a little bit of shift over here or a little bit of shift over there. But yeah, there's 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 that communication and pruning a maple, Japanese maple. That's one of my favorite things to do. And mm-hmm. as I'm doing it, I'm, I'm just, I'm talking sweet nothings to it the Hell entire yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that, man. That's beautiful. Well, man, dude, we've covered quite a bit today, man. God damn. Um, you know, the last thing I really want to circle back on is, um, is the farm that you have. Yeah. And so how did you get to the point to where you're rescuing animals? Yeah. So we've always, uh, Liz and I have always, uh, been rescuing animals. All of our dogs have been rescue animals. Um, she worked at a, a, a wildlife rehab center um, uh, when she first moved out here, and then she was in the veterinary tech world. Um, and so she is an animal health expert. So she is kind of like the uh, the backbone of like how the animals are doing and mm. what they need and and how we're caring for them. Cool. So that has to be kind of like the prefaces for it all because I'm the plant guy, right? She, you're, <laughs> I'm like, you're the plant you know, guy, she's the yeah, animal guy. Yeah, I'm the plant guy, she's the animal guy. There you, you go. Know, I'm, I can build, I can bring the hay over, I can do all that stuff, but you know, if it's like there's something wrong with Wally's eye, like I'm going to be like, well, I don't know, it's nature, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Guess he's losing an eye. <laughs> I'm not, Liz, I'm not going to be like that. So, so we have this kind of like this animal background on her end, and uh, we we adopted dogs, uh, and then we started get we got the farm and we got some goats in the beginning from a new moon uh, new moon farm sanctuary. I think that's up in like Lake Stevens ish Arlington, mm. um, where they did uh, goat rescue. Um, we rescued our cow and our llamas from, uh, center Valley animal rescue. 
that one right there. Oh yeah. Um, over on Quilcene, uh, she's got an amazing farm over there with. Um, She's got emus and she does wildlife rehab. Mm -hmm. So she'll have like, you know, like a fox or something or an eagle or something weird like that. Wow. Um, so we got them from there. We've rescued geese and turkeys from uh, people that are just kind of like they're older and maybe they lost a, a family member and they just couldn't take care of their flock anymore. Right. Yeah. We have a lot, we have birds, we have chickens from all over the country, yeah. uh, from friends of ours who have brought in birds to us and they're like, we just can't, we're, we're coming out, we're on a road trip. And I'm like, you really are gonna like drive chickens up here? I'm like, all right, let's do it. It's not, not my car. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they got a home here if you can get them, so uh -huh. yeah. Um, cats, we've, we've rescued a bunch of feral cats um, cool. that kind of live in our, Live in our um, in our garage, kind of on mouse patrol. So. There you go. Yeah, everybody yeah. just gets along. One yeah. big happy. Everybody's family. got a job, right? Dude, and that's what's <laughs> up. You know, you know, and it's it's with animals as much as humans. Like we just want a purpose. Yeah. Like we just want to feel yeah. like our our effort is being appreciated, and not even appreciated, but we're just we're we're part of something. Mm -hmm. Like I can I can do that thing. Please let me do that thing. Like we want to contribute. Like not everybody, and there's this is broad breast stroke, but not everybody wants to just sit on the couch, right? Yeah. And I think that was a big fear for a lot of people during COVID is like, oh, fuck, now the world's going to get yeah. lazy. We're just going to all sit around on our asses. I saw the exact opposite. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. People deserve to sit on their asses because a lot of us have been pushed way too hard in True. the work industries, Absolutely. right? And so yeah. if you took that time to sit on your ass and you feel good about it, yeah. good for fucking yeah. you, man. Yeah. But I saw a lot of people embrace that for maybe a week, maybe mm -hmm. a couple days, but once it's settled in, it's like, okay, what can I do? Yeah. What can I do? How can I help? How can I improve my life? You know, start a podcast, start a YouTube channel, go do online yoga because I never had a chance to do yoga because I work 70 hours a week, yeah. whatever it is, right? And you have these opportunities to really kind of get your humanity back mm -hmm. in a way and really find out what you've been missing out on. Mm -hmm. And then I've been seeing people make some changes. Yeah, a lot of change of the professions, you know? I mean, it's mm. just, you know, it's just, it's a different, it's a different world out there, you know? And I think that, it was it was needed. There was a lot of stuff bubbling to the surface, and you know it's 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 how it's getting out there. So yeah, did you guys find yourselves adopting more animals during uh, COVID? Or? Oh yeah, yeah, we did. yeah, yeah. We ended up bringing on some more, but not to not too terrible. Yeah. You know? uh, Liz does work from home, so that that kind of makes it um, a lot more. Um, we we do live we live right next to the uh, the transfer station mm -hmm. in Sultan and. Uh, we have fencing that go over there, but we have brought some new goats on and, uh, boy, they just, they kept on going over to the transfer station so much that we had to put a post-it note in the, in the window of the transfer station that if goats were on the property to give me or Liz a call and let us know. They loved it. They, at least they th we think they loved it. I think it brought them a little bit of joy having right? some goats like wandering around the transfer station probably not the safest thing in right. the world but um but it was you know yeah. and all of a sudden like we'd have to run over there and you know get the goats back in the shelter and so it's a lot of fencing it's yeah. hard work i mean you know yeah. i'm not i'm not gonna sugarcoat it it's 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 a very peaceful time but it's also a lot of hard work and um a lot of procrastination kills on a farm yeah so if you like if you try to push something off for a period of time um it can it'll only get worse and um so do I get to play with plants as much as I like to all the time? No, because I've got a, I've got a whole like flock of animals that, that need my attention. Um, but I do carve out time and you mm -hmm. know, like it's all about timing with gardening. If you can time things properly, then you, 
you can make it look like you know what you're doing. Right. There you go. There you go. Fake it till you make it. That's what's up, man. <laughs> the American way. It really is. It really is. And you know what? And that's that actually brings me to my last question for you is um, I get so many people that, you know, I, I love house plants. I've done a little bit of outside gardening, mm-hmm. but most of my stuff is indoor plants. And I've got so many people that come to me and say, like, they, they don't have a green thumb. They kill all the things that they try to grow. Uh, my advice I give them is is my advice I gave to myself. It's like I killed so much things, mm-hmm. so many things when I started. Oh, it's root rot, overwatering, yep. underwatering, yep. ignoring, blah blah blah. But there was a desire for me to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And even though some of my plant buddies had to pass away, um, I learned a lot from that. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of my. That's the advice I give people: is like just don't give up, keep yeah. trying. Yeah. But you know, is there is there some kind of advice you can give to people to help them understand? Like it's just part of the process. Just, just go out and try it. You know, like when you go to the farmers market and somebody's got some plants there for sale, you know, try them. You know, grow a new tree. You know, there's a lot of fun things. You just you do need to take care of it. You know, I mean, I think it's it's just like any other living and and breathing thing is mm-hmm. that you have to take care of it. You've got to you've got to make sure you maintain it. It's not that hard once you kind of dial it into it. Um, but I think it's just about trying it, you yeah. know, and it's just about finding whatever interests you. It might not be vegetable gardening. It might be a Japanese garden that is full of stones and, you know, uh, camellias and Japanese maples and just, you know, a very Zen like mindset to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, it really is whatever pleases you. Some, to some it's getting on a lawnmower and mowing for three hours right and drinking three beers while they do it you right. know i mean like it, it, to me it, it's not my cup of tea but you know it's like that person's getting out that person's you know doing something mm-hmm. they're outside experiencing it um i think it's just about it's just about doing it you know oh yeah yeah it's just about enjoying it get outside if it's not if you live in a small small apartment go outside and take a walk you know it's like we're surrounded by so many parks um Mm -hmm. in this area you know the parks you know the history of the seattle park system no ah cool yeah um so one of the early um uh one of the early landscape architects Mm -hmm. of the of the 1800s uh was the olmstead brothers so they designed central park okay uh, the chicago waterfront um some stuff in San Francisco. And then they also designed our park system in Seattle. And so it's always been called the Emerald city, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know why? No. So it's, so basically what the Olmstead brothers did was they designed a park, uh, system basically starting around like the Duwamish green belt in West Seattle, kind of going down and there's, that's all industrial now. So we'll yeah. just kind of like ignore that for this time yeah. period. <laughs> then you go up Beacon Hill and then you come down to Lake Washington Boulevard on the, on the east side of Seattle, and that kind of curls itself around to the Arboretum. And then through the Arboretum, you get into uh, the University of Washington, and then you go down through um, some of the park systems to get out towards like Ballard and Golden Gardens. Yeah, yeah. And so they called that the Emerald Ring around the city. And so it just stuck. That's why we're called the Emerald City. And so I just think that our park system is so unique and so beautiful that if you're just stuck inside and you don't like gardening or you don't have a green thumb, get out there and just like there's there's trees that are hundred plus year old in those parks that were planted by 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 people in the like the nineteen twenties and the nineteen tens and wow. stuff. So it's just um it's we're very, very blessed to have that. And I love the Arboretum. The Arboretum is my most favorite place in the world. Mm. Um the plant collections there are awesome. Uh it's just it's 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 a little 
oasis in the middle of the city, it feels like. Hell yeah. Not like Central Park middle, but, you know, it's yeah. over there. <laughs> wow, the ring. I had no idea yeah. that Yeah, the even... Emerald Ring of Seattle. Emerald yeah. Ring. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Dude, you're fucking knowledgeable, man. I appreciate all your knowledge, brother. <laughs> Anytime. I love yeah, it. Man. Yeah. Thank you so much for Absolutely, your time. Absolutely, dude. This has been fun. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> See you next time, man. Sounds good. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending time with Patrick and I. Uh, please uh, share, like, or leave a comment for the podcast. And uh, if you need anything, please reach out. Obeisance and love to y'all. We'll see you next time.